Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Be with you all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. It's so lovely to be with you all this morning in our last week of the series that we started five weeks ago on the nature of the person of the Holy Spirit and His work in us and what He is doing in us and how we ought to have a relationship with Him and we ought to be filled with Him and we ought to know that His perpetual presence within us is what moves us to be who God wants us to be. So, sorry, I was like literally running from person to person and got here, so I apologize that I am a few minutes late. Forgive me. So, today's discussion, I really would like us to speak about five marks of what a spirit-fulfilled person looks like. So, we've been talking about the nature of the, pers- of the Holy Spirit and the nature of what the Holy Spirit does and how He points us to Christ and how He works in, t- in us to convict us, to teach us all things. And I always start every talk in this series about the Holy Spirit talking about a starting point. Because I think our starting point is very important. And I think last week when we were speaking about how there are three different approaches for how people approach God. A lot of people approach God as a slave. They approach Him in fear. They approach Him in fear and they're scared of what the consequences are going to be like, so they just worship Him. I'm scared of you, God, so I will just do what I need to do because I'm afraid of what the consequences will be. They kind of take Pascal's wager. You know, if I don't worship, something bad will happen to me. And we have this sort of uh, fatalistic perspective of God that he will strike us with lightning if we don't follow him. And then some people approach God as though he is, that we, although we are, as though we are servants. And one who approaches God as a servant is waiting for his uh, sort of reward. And many people come to God and they approach him longing for something, right? So if, and, and the catalyst that we ask ourselves if we approach God as a servant, ask yourself, are your prayers all requests or are your prayers, and hoping what, that those requests will be full, fulfilled, or are your prayers uh, longing for really what is on the heart of God? Many of us see God as a genie in a bottle. Three wishes are my command. But we said that that's not the approach that God is longing for in us. We said the third approach is the, is the most mature of approaches, which is we see God as though he is our beloved. We see God as though he is our beloved. Now you guys can hear me, sorry. We see God as though he is our beloved, and he longs for a relationship with us, and we approach him as his children. So one who approaches God as his children or approaches God as his spouse longs to do what will gladden the heart of God. That our hearts are longing for a relationship with him that is a relationship not based on fear, a relationship not based on what we'll get out of him, but a relationship based on the fact that he is just good and we are his beloved. So what I want to speak today to, to you about, and something that I learned as I was preparing for this, is I think the most important sh- thing that we acknowledge, and I'm, I'm hoping you take away from this series, is the Holy Spirit is a person. And he longs to have a relationship with us. And he allows us to understand our sonship in God. He allows us to know our identity in God. 
He allows us to know who we are in Christ. We baptized an adult woman today. And as I was reading the prayers of the baptism, I was so moved by it. I kept thinking to myself, wow, like the, gr- the glory that we receive in baptism and the sealing of the Holy Spirit that God chooses to make me his dwelling place, that God chooses to adopt me into his family, that I am so broken, I'm filled with so much hurt, I'm filled with so much darkness, but God still adopts me, seals me, and makes me forever his. So the thing that I want you and all of us is to know your sonship. Know your sonship. There's a great story of a father and a son who are walking along a street. And suddenly, the father grabbed his son, hugged him, and started kissing him. And then after a minute, he put the boy down. Was a little boy, when he was in his father's arms, more a son? Like, objectively, was he more a son? Was there legally any difference between when he was standing next to him or when he was in his arms? No. But experientially, there was a big difference. There's a big difference between when I grab my boy or when I grab my daughter and I hug them and kiss them and give them a ton of affection, that they know their dad's fatherhood towards them. In theory, they understand, right? They know that's dada, right? They know in theory, that's my daddy, right? But when you grab a kid and you hold that kid and you feel that kid and you kiss that kid, that kid experiences the fatherhood of their father. Now, here's the most beautiful thing, is that this is the relationship that God longs for us. Because many of us don't have great relationships with our fathers. Many of us, our relationships with our fathers are flawed. Many of us, we actually, there's, there was a, this great book called The Fatherhood of God. And it talks all about healing the wounds that people have from their earthly fathers and how that causes issues with their heavenly father. The role of the Holy Spirit is to point, like I said, to Christ and point to the father. He wants us to know our sonship. He wants us to know our relationship with God. He wants us to know how there is a difference between me knowing here, a difference between me knowing here, and a difference between me knowing here. And God longs for that, this relationship, that embracing, loving relationship, that relationship where we feel his presence, we know that he's there, and we don't know it just in here, we don't know it just in here, we know it here, that there's nothing that can steal the identity that I have in Christ. St. Paul says this, and we talked about this a little bit last week, for as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then what? Heirs. And if heirs, joint heirs with Christ. And if we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Look at how beautiful that verse is. That the Spirit leads us to be able to cry, Abba. The Spirit is the one who works in us to know the fatherhood of God. The Spirit is the one who works in us to let us know our identity is not based on what other people say about us, not based on what we look to the other Two, our our identity is sealed in him. It's an experience. The Holy Spirit enables you to say, if someone as all-powerful as that loves me like this, 
delights in me, has gone to infinite lengths to save me, says he'll never let me go, says that he's going to glorify me and make me perfect and purify every evil out of my life. If all that is true, what am I worried about? What am I worried about? If that is true, if that is true, ladies and gentlemen, if I am a heir and I am the son and the daughter of the Most High, what am I worried about? What am I worried about? Am I worried about when you say something bad about me? I care less. Who are you? My identity is in him. Am I worried about struggles and hardships that come in my life? Yes, I can be afraid for a moment. A moment. But I know I'm in the bosom of my father. I know the spirit is not, God is not above me at a distance. We talked about how the Holy Trinity is God above me, God with me, and God inside me. The Spirit is God inside me. I don't have to look far for God. God is right here, working in my heart, encouraging me, supporting me. If there's anyone here today that is lacking an understanding of their sonship or their daughtership in the Lord, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you can sense your Father's arms beneath you. You receive assurance of who you are. The Spirit enables you to say all these different things. If he will glorify me, make me perfect, pure from me, what am I worried about? That's a starting point. And if we take anything out of this series, like if you forget every single thing that I said over the last week, five weeks, the starting point of anything in our relationship with God is that we know our identity in him, that I am beloved. And because I am beloved, I walk with an audacity, not in myself, I walk in an audacity in him to know that I don't got to worry. I don't got to be fearful. I know that everything is in his hands. And I know that the spirit who is within me even groans on my lips and teaches me to pray. I know the spirit is the one who reminds me of the things that Jesus has taught me. I know the spirit who is within me teaches me all things and brings me to remembrance. I know the spirit who, who works within me gives me power on high. As I've been reading the whole book of Acts, I'm blown away by the work of the Holy Spirit. Because every time you read the book of Acts, you see, like the apostles, they have like a crazy relationship with the Holy Spirit. It says that the Holy Spirit refused to let them go somewhere. I'm like, what? How did they know? Like, it says that the Holy Spirit constrained them. It says that the Holy Spirit encouraged them and supported them and opened up doors of prisons that were closed. Is there a prison in your life today that you think can't be opened? Is there a situation in your life this morning that you feel like God can't work? Peter was in prison, and he was in a desperate situation. All of a sudden, through the work of the Spirit, those gates, those bars were broken. No metal, no biological, physiological, anatomical thing could stand in the way of the Holy Spirit. Broke down those bars. Destroyed. That's what the work of the Spirit does. Nothing hinders me. Nothing moves me. St. Paul could be in prison, and I'll talk about this later. He could be in prison, and that prison, again, is an altar. That prison is a place where he writes epistles. That prison is a place in which he's able to encourage the church. How can one be in prison and encourage the church through the prison epistles? What's wrong with this man? Filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. Here are the signs of the Spirit. So formerly Saul, in Acts chapter in the beginning, Saul is persecuting the church. And the threat that was upon those who are followers of Christ was vast. 
So, in verse 1, it says, At the time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions, Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. By the way, I love the hand of God. Even in persecution, even in hardship, what happens? God uses that hardship, God uses that persecution to do what? To scatter the apostles, to scatter the disciples so that the message of the gospel advances. You mean to harm me. You mean to harm me. You mean to persecute the church, Saul. You mean to destroy the work that God is doing. Uh Uh-uh. The sovereign God is in control and he's able to take those who are being persecuted and scatter them to places so that new disciples are hearing the good news of the gospel. There is no thing that a person can do to hinder the work of God if God is behind it. That's why they say if this work is from God, let nobody stand against it because nobody will be able to. Nobody will be able to. There's something in your life that you know is from God, that he's paved the way, that he's cleared every possible thing. That very Red Sea that you stand before becomes a walkway. That very Red Sea that you stand before, that you're like, oh my gosh, I can't get through this. It's a sea, I'm going to drown. God says, you know what? Through me, I can split that sea. That sea can be spread apart, and you see water here, and you see water here, and right here is a straight path to the place of salvation. Saul is persecuting the church. So look what verse 5 says, and verse 4. Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. First sign of a spirit-filled person is that although I'm scattered, although there is hardship, although there is difficulty, I'm bold. Nothing stands in my way. Nothing hinders me. And by the way, there's a difference between my temperament being bold and from being spirit-filled boldness. Temperament being bold, like some people naturally are more uh, extroverted, loud, outgoing people. That's not spirit-filled boldness. Spirit-filled boldness is that when you enter into a place that's really, really scary. I'll tell you guys a story. You'll laugh at me. Years ago, one of my first visits to D.C., it was about 2011, I went, to, no, 2010. I came to Abuna Anthony, who was serving in this church many years ago. I said, Abuna, we want to bring a group of guys and we want to do mission in D.C. It's like, mission in D.C.? What are you guys going to do? We want to go to all the most dangerous, scary places in D.C. He's like, okay. I'm going to tell you what some of the most dangerous, scary places in D.C., but I want you guys to go. And this is when I was young, stupid, reckless, didn't really know. But I, I promise you, I promise you, back then, I was so like on fire and in love for, with God that I didn't care. So he said, okay, where are you guys going to go? Abuna, we heard about this place called the Red Light District in D.C., Anacostia. And we hear that it's super dangerous, and we hear that there are like prostitutes and different people. We want to go there. Now, by the way, as D.C. has changed, D.C. has become a very a different whole place. And I lived in D.C. for 10 years. Everything has changed in D.C. But back then, it was a little bit scary. So I remember we get into the car, we park by the metro station, and then a bunch of us are four of my friends. They, they whisper to me like, do you think we should leave like our phones and our stuff in the car? 
I was like, I guess that's what it means that don't bring your knapsack, don't bring anything with you, just leave everything behind. I guess that's what it means. So we left everything in the car, and then we go, and the first thing we do, we see a bunch of guys playing chess, and they're wearing bulletproof vests while they're playing chess outdoors in the middle of the daylight. So I'm like, what's going on here? And then we go into the supermarket, and the guy's holding an AR-15 for security. I'm just telling you, it's crazy. But we get there, and the people are the nicest people in the world. The nicest people in the world, hugging us, saying, oh, and what we did was we were just going to bring a whole bunch of water bottles, some things, and just pass them out to people and tell them that God loves them. That's all we wanted to do. And I'll tell you, the, the, the fear that we had walking in and the result of what we experienced when we went there was not that there was, like, we were worried about, like, our phones being taken or getting mugged. We encountered God himself in people. In fact, the first guy that we spoke to, a guy named Frank, I'll never forget it. He said, hey, what are you guys doing here? He said, oh, we're here to just hand out some water bottles and tell people that God loves them. He's like, oh, yeah? Okay. Well, you know, I just got out of prison. I'm like, okay, for what? He's like, well, my wife was having an affair, so I killed her. (laughs) Frank, I love you, Frank. You're my best friend. (laughs) I love you, Frank. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not making it actually, it's, it, it was, but turns out after that conversation, he's like, man, I was really confused on what I ought to do, and I feel like God brought you guys to me. I feel like God brought you guys to me today to encourage me and to remind me that God still cares about his people. See, I would not do that today, to be honest with you. And now I'm dressed as a priest. I'm telling you, my boldness, like something has happened. I feel like God is, is, needs to reignite me, a fire for his love again. But those who were scattered were scattered, but they were bold. They weren't scattered running away from St. Paul or Saul of Tarsus. They weren't scattered afraid of the consequences of what were happening. They were scattered, and they knew that the Spirit was moving them to advance the message of the gospel. I ask you today, do you feel a sense of boldness in your life? Do you feel this sense, this conviction in your heart that you know first how much you've received, and because you know how much you've received, you want to give to others? I said that in the sermon this morning. Like when one knows how much they received, how much they are loved, how much they understand that sonship that I'm in the bosom of God, I want to share that with everyone. So scattered but bold. First thing is you're bold. The second thing is you're powerful in word. Look what happened. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Your words are powerful. Your words are able to shape and move people. By the way, I was uh, reading a story or, or listening to a story about Pope Krullus. There was this Jewish man who was in the military, and he was about to be executed. And God spared him, and God gave him an opportunity to be basically saved and protected. And the one friend that he had in the Egyptian military was a Christian guy. So this Egyptian guy said to him, hey, come, come, welcome, and I want to encourage you to come to church with me. So this man grew up in a very religious household. He knew the Psalms. He said, okay, I'll come check out the church. And the first thing that Pope Carlos, Pope Carlos was Saint Mina, the, the, the Father Mina the Solitary at the time. This man walks into the church, and the first thing that Father Mina the Solitary, Pope Carlos says to him, he says, hey, I know that you used to put your, your brother in a suitcase. He's like, what? He's like, I know that you used to put your brother in a suitcase. He's like, how did you know that? When this guy was young, he was shetty. He was a bad boy, so he used to shove his brother in the suitcase, and he used to hide him underneath the bed, and he'd be screaming the whole time. And another time... This kid's parents came home, and he found that the cat was dead. 
So they thought that the, the, the boy strangled. So Father Mina said to him, he's like, and I know about the cat, but you didn't kill the cat. That wasn't your fault. <laughs> and the third thing that he knew about this person was he said to him, you know, when you were young, you had that teacher who was really mean. She was really mean. And one day you stood behind the bush and you took a rock and you threw it at her. And that rock hit her in the forehead and she fell. And the guy was like, yeah, I thought she was like Goliath. I wanted to take her down. <laughs> and he's like, but how did you know? How did you know? He knew. He knew. And by the way, from that encounter, that Saint, and, and, and by the way, I'm not talking about folk who are listening to St. Mina or Father Mina the Solitaries, like his, his powers that he was able to have the gift of clairvoyance and read people's minds. What he says is not, that was the initial encounter. But what this person saw in Father Mina or Pope Curlis was the holiness. What this person saw was any word that he spoke, spoke with power. There are some people, by the way, that are naturally gifted speakers. Naturally, they're able to express things. In a, but there are some people that it's not what they say. It's how they say it. It's not the, the volume of the things they say. It's the encounter that you have when you meet that person. I'm sure when these people saw Philip, and they saw the preaching, and then they started to see the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip because there was a power in the word that he spoke. I want that power. I want that power not in the volume of words that I say, but when I say a word, it moves people. I want the power that when people hear the word from me, that they're moved. But they're not moved to be like, oh, Abuna, good job, well done. No, they're moved to worship. They're moved to encounter the divine. Look what happened here. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things of Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out, and many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. That's the other thing. Unclean spirits fear you. So, Number one, scattered but bold. Number two, powerful in word. Number three, unclean spirits fear you. So this may be something that you're like, okay, Abuna, like we live in the Western society, you know, unclean spirits. We don't really see that stuff here. In fact, I got a text message last night from somebody that was in Kenya and was saying, Abuna, I see like, we see like demon possession here. Like, why are we seeing it here? We don't see it anywhere in America. So the devil doesn't need to work here. He has enough of his goons working for him and many of us. Like, really, he works. He works, and he's working, and he's working behind the scenes, and he's working invisibly. But he has social media. He has entertainment, television, each other. He has all the other mediums necessary that he doesn't need to work visibly. In Africa, you see people demon-possessed in front of you, and you see the power of the cross in front of you working and the power of the Holy Spirit working within those who are missionaries. And this person texted me and said, Abuna, I've had power. Like I held my cross and I said in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, be, be cast out. And the guy got scared of me. I was like, you know, because that's the Spirit working in you. She said, but how come we don't see that here? I said, well, again, he doesn't need to. But here's the thing. You ever encounter, I want to read this passage. Then some of the ignorant Jews Exorcists took it upon themselves to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? 
These guys are coming and are like seeing like, wow, the apostles are cool. They're able to cast out demons, do miracles, signs, and wonders. We want that power. So we're going to say in the name of Jesus, in the name of the God of Paul, we exercise you. So a demon comes out and says, yeah, 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 I know those guys, but who are you? I never want this to be said about me. Like the last thing that I want the demons to say is like, I know Jesus, I know Samah, I know John, but I don't know you, Father Elijah. Like, who are you? You don't have power. You don't have power to do this. You don't believe in who he who gives the power. See, when you are filled with the Spirit, unclean spirits fear you. Spirits of darkness fear you. And I'm not talking about even just demons. I'm talking about, you ever encounter somebody very holy, and all of a sudden you feel like, I just hope this person can't read my mind. I hope this person can't see what's going on inside me. I was visiting like certain monasteries during my 40, and they were like, this abuna can read your mind. So you know what I'd be thinking the whole entire time while I see this one? Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse. I'm just literally saying anything in my mind to make sure he doesn't know what's going on in my mind. Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse. I promise you, I'm just trying to, I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, Abuna, you can't read my mind. Not going to let it happen. But all jokes aside, they're not reading your mind for the sake of like making fun of you and making you feel bad. They have the gift to, to encourage you and to support you and to show you something that the Lord wants to share with you. But I want, I want to read you something that St. Athanasius wrote about St. Anthony and the life of Anthony. By the way, if you have not read The Life of Anthony, it is a must-read. The Life of Anthony is really one of the most beautiful books ever written by St. Athanasius on St. Anthony the Great. It's a really beautiful book, and it shows you the magnitude and the, like, the weight of St. Anthony. So he says, The holy ones enlighten the eyes of our minds and teach us by their very presence. Teach us by their very presence to contemplate and to see the divine nature. They are like radiant lamps, illuminating our souls, revealing to us the innermost secrets of the heart. By their presence, the holy ones rebuke sinners, and by their life, they bring grace to the faithful. And through them, mankind is led to the knowledge of what? Truth. When you are spirit-filled, there's something about you that shakes evil around There's something about your presence when you enter into a place that people are like, "Uh uh-uh, they're different. Something about this person. There's something about this person. They're filled with a power from on high that when they speak, their words are bold. When their presence is with them, they're a stumbling block. And not a stumbling block in the negative way, a stumbling block in the positive way that they make a person stop in their footsteps and say, there's something different about this person. It used to be back in the day. It used to be back in the day that when a priest entered into a room, there was like clout. Everybody would be like, like stand up and like greet Abuna. Like I remember my childhood priest, Abuna Wisa, there was something about this man that when he would walk into a room, he just had a weight. And his presence shook me. I was like, man, I really hope Abuna doesn't know what I'm doing wrong. I really hope that he doesn't know that I did this and I did this and did this. And he would grab me with a headlock and uppercut me in the stomach and be like, when did you, why didn't you pr- come to church? Why didn't you do That was like, he used to call them holy beatings. Holy beatings. We used to get a beaten from a Buddha. That was the old, what I'm saying is the, there was a time when there was a, a, a sense of weight. Like people who speak about Father Tedros Maliti, people who speak about a Buddha Bishoy Kamil, people speak about like the Shiuch, like the real OGs. There's something about them that when you would encounter them, there's a weight there. Unclean spirits fear you. Not because of who you are, but because of the spirit who dwells rich in you. 
So look what it says in verse 41. So when they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing, they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Acts chapter 5, verse 41, St. Peter is imprisoned. And what does it say? It says, when they departed from the presence of the council, the council they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for shame for his name. There's something about those who are spirit-filled that when they're persecuted, they find joy in being persecuted. They, they literally have joy-filled lives. Like you encounter them and they're like, Abuna, you didn't hear what that person said about you? Like you don't hear, you, how are you smiling? Like how are you happy about being, you know, treated the way that you're treated? God is good. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. You know, we say that, obey a prayer, and we just kind of, you know, fly through that part of the gospel. It's not like a thing for us. But those who really are spirit-filled have immense joy. Nothing moves them. Nothing moves them. Joy is the principal flag of the work of the Spirit. It is often seen in saints. When somebody's filled with the Holy Spirit, their joy is radiant and contagious. It is the sign that the Spirit is dwelling in them. I like this quote, and I use it in the women's retreat, about this definition of what joy is. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that everything, ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. This is by Kay Warren. Kay Warren, by the way, had a son. She's a wife of a pastor, Rick Warren, who is a pastor of Saddleback Christian Church, one of the big mega churches in North America, and her son committed suicide. And then after, she wrote a book on joy. A book on joy. That after she was in intense pain, she came up with this definition. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control over all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Those who are filled with the Spirit are filled with intense joy. Nothing moves them. Nothing moves them. Again, let's go back. They're bold in spirit. They're powerful in word. Unclean spirits fear them. They have immense joy. But really, as St. Paul says it best, though I speak with the tongues of men, though I have spiritual gifts and of angels, but have not love, I've become like sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Although, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. All this stuff that we said prior, of being bold, of being filled with joy, of being able to cast out spirits through your presence, of being powerful in word, all of this means nothing if you're not loving. Love is the catalyst. Love is the real sign of spirit-filled people. Ask yourself today, have you been in a situation recently in which your love has been tested to the furthest extent possible? Where somebody who you've encountered doesn't deserve to be loved. Where somebody who you encountered has hurt you in really, really deep ways. That's your opportunity to practice the work of the Spirit in your heart. That's your opportunity to be filled, to ask the Holy Spirit to encourage you, to support you, and to love that person despite 
they're deserving of love. Radical love. St. Paul says, if I can move a mountain, if I can heal the sick, if I can speak in tongues, if I can move this, if I can miracle and miracle and miracle, but I don't have love, profits me nothing. How loving are we? How much are we willing to turn the other cheek? How much are we willing to love those who don't love us? How much are we willing to extend a hand of grace to those who we think don't deserve it? By the way, there is no person who is hurt and is hurting. There's no person who is hurting people that isn't hurt. There's no person that's hurting people that isn't hurt. Hurt breeds hurt and breeds hurt and breeds hurt. It is the domino effect, and it is this sort of like, if I'm hurt, I'm going to hurt you because hurt people hurt people, right? But the real measure of how much I have encountered God, the real measure of the work of the Spirit is that you can cry very loud. That's the real measure. The, the real measure of the work of the Spirit, the real measure of the work of the Spirit is how much I'm willing to love, to what extent I'm willing to love, to what depth I'm willing to extend my hand out to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Ask yourself today. Nobody's judging. Nobody's calling on out. If there's somebody that you have a grudge in your heart towards to today, extend the hand out. Ask the Holy Spirit to work within your heart to extend the hand out to that person to put up a white flag. By the way, when you are angry, when you're hurting, when you're, when you're bitter towards somebody, who's the person that suffers the most? Me. And the elementary stage of forgiveness, to be honest, is forgiving because you want to make yourself feel better. The most mature way of forgiving is to forgive because I know how much I've been forgiven. Because I know the extent of God's love towards me and because I know his extent towards me, I can't hold a grudge unto anyone. St. Paul says it. Though you have gifts, though you serve in Sunday school, though you're able to sing every hymn in the church, though you're able to be a great dad, though you're able to do everything, but you don't have love, you're missing everything. You missed the whole point of the whole message of the gospel. The sign of a real spirit-filled person is to what extent they're willing to love, the radical love that they have. Look what he says, St. Paul. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit. Look what the, the might of the spirit does. In the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in what? In love. May, able, may be able to comprehend with all the saints the width and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The work of the Spirit is to root me ground me in love to really understand the extent of my sonship. And the evidence of my sonship, the evidence of me encountering God is how much I'm willing to extend love to other people. If you are here today and you have a grudge towards somebody, I really encourage you. I really encourage you to put an olive branch out. I really encourage you to extend the hand out to somebody because you are only harming yourself. You're only hindering the work of the Spirit in your life. And you haven't fully grasped the extent of God's love for you. Forgive me. 
Think of the martyrs. In the midst of their sufferings, they sang hymns, embraced the flames, and thanked God for the privilege of suffering for his name. This was not because they loved pain, by the way, but because they tasted the sweetness of Christ's love and were willing to give up everything for him. St. Polycarp, by the way, when he's being burned alive, said, 86 years I've served him, and he has never done me wrong. Then how can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The radical love that he has, the radical love that he has is when he's in a fiery furnace, when he's in the middle of pain, he's not, he's not even thinking for a second to abandon his beloved. That's sonship. That's him understanding his identity. That's his knowing of how much God has done for him. And by proxy, he wants to offer it to other people. And by the way, St. Polycarp's life, St. Polycarp's life, his martyrdom did more for the church than his life did. Right? We read how many thousands of, how many, what are we? He was in third century. So we're like 1,700 years later, 1,800 years later. And we're still talking about St. Polycarp. Can you imagine that? His martyrdom is still a witness to us today. His love is still impacting us today. That's why the martyrs are the seed of the church. That's why the martyrs are the means by which we really find encouragement and support. Anyone who has read about the martyrs of Libya, the 21 martyrs of Libya who recently were executed by ISIS, we're moved by those people. Their radical love moves us. It shows us that in the face of a sword, in the face of death, nothing shook them because they knew he is no fool who loses that which he cannot keep in order to lose that which he cannot, in order to gain that which he cannot lose. They are no fool for losing that which they cannot keep. This is not coming with us. This is not coming with us in order to gain that which they cannot lose. They're willing to live, give everything away for the sake of their beloved. How radical is your love for Jesus? How radical is your love for him? I want to close off with a prayer that always moves me and it helps me check myself. It's a prayer by a Catholic saint named St. Francis of Assisi. And St. Francis is a beautiful man, but he writes this famous prayer. And he says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. And where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console." To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive. It is in the pardoning that we pardon. And it is in the dying that we are born to eternal life. One of the most beautiful prayers. The real catalyst for every single one of us, as we have been discussing over the last five weeks, is ask yourself today. Ask yourself today. How much... Am I bold for the message of the gospel? How much am I powerful in word? How much do the demons and dark forces fear me? How much joy do I have? How much radical love am I pouring out? My challenge last week to you guys was to read Galatians chapter 5 and to compare yourself to Galatians chapter 5. My challenge to you this week is pray this prayer. Pray this prayer and watch how it starts to melt you. 
Where there is anger, you'll sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. You will be that spirit-filled person who brings light into every single place that you enter to. You will be that person through your encounter with the Lord himself, that he will fill you, that he will move you, and that he will encourage you to be who he desires you to be, not for yourself alone, but for the sake of the city, for the sake of the neighbors, for the sake of your household, and for sake of all those around you. St. Anthony the Great says, I cannot ima- imagine a man to be saved without his neighbor. I cannot imagine a man to be saved without his neighbor. The golden rule, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So my encouragement to every single one of us today, take this prayer and ask yourself today, am I an instrument of peace? Do I so love? Do I do all the things that I'm hoping that the mark of a spirit-filled person, when I compare myself to Galatians chapter, chapter 5, actually manifests? Because what we really need, we need, again, I'll say this again, please, 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 we need, I said this in the liturgy today, we need a church of contributors rather than a church of consumers. We need a church of people that say, Lord, how can I be spirit-filled to serve this whole world that's filled with darkness in order to bring the love of Jesus, the good news, the the vaccine which heals all the viruses all around us? I want to be that person. I don't want to be somebody that's taking from the church. I want to be one that's giving. So may all of us ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, please fill me. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your joy. Fill me with the teachings of Christ. Fill me with conviction. Allow you, I, I want you to come and to burn away the things in my heart that are hindering me from knowing you. I want you, O Holy Spirit, to fill me with your presence. I want you, O Holy Spirit, to use me as a beacon of your glory. I want you, O Holy Spirit, to turn this church into a lighthouse, into a hospital, that every single person who enters into it sees the church of St. Mark as a bunch of nurses, as a bunch of nurses that are healing people and bringing them to the great physician. All of us, I invite you to the invitation to be filled with the Spirit and to have the fire within burning so bright that every single person who sees you glorifies your Father in heaven. Glory be to God forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.